so today we're going to hopefully be wrapping up um, our study through the history of uh, this doctrine about God's providence. So for anybody that's maybe not been in here for the whole thing, or, or you're, you, today's may kind of feel like you're dropping in at the tail end of something, that's because it is, we're kind of trying to wrap up this idea, but I want to give you a little bit of a little bit of heads up about what we're doing and, and kind of what's going on with this. So um, when we study a particular uh, a particular idea, like we've been studying God's providence, what we've been doing at the tail end of that is trying to to follow that up with looking from from the time of Christ and the early church to today. Like how has the church viewed those ideas? Were of different. Different conflicts come up along the way where like difficulties have been worked through. Um, so we kind of take the approach that we look at the early church, we look at the established or the medieval church. Uh, for for us and in 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 kind of the the Protestant uh, church, one of the one of the major like historical points in history for us is the is the Reformation itself. So we we kind of explore how how these ideas. Um, how they how they morphed or how they um, how they realigned during the Protestant Reformation, and then we explore kind of the modern age which we uh, find ourselves in um, to see like what what difficulties are we wrestling with now, or or has clarity been found in any particular idea? Uh, last week we started off. Um, kind of as we started exploring the history of the church and the way that the church has viewed uh, God's providence, and one of the one of the realities that if you explore, explore church history, that you'll find is that from from the very early stages to now, there's there's pretty much always been at least two large camps in which people would fall into um, when they when they start kind of working out these ideas. The 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 camps that we, or the names that we tend to give those today um, would be. Um, Calvinism and Arminianism. So these are kind of the the, the two big, um, or they represent, I would say, kind of the two sides of this uh, of this argument or debate. Um, so we've been kind of exploring, and we find ourselves last week kind of wrapping up the early church age um, and some of the some of the great thinkers of that time. Some of the things that they said. So we kind of wrapped up with Augustine last time. So I want to kind of read the kind of one of the latter quotes that we had from him before we jump into the into the Middle Ages and and start looking at how these ideas um, how these ideas worked out from the thinkers of those times as well. So we were, we kind of wrapped up last time with Augustine. Augustine. One of the things to consider, and I'll I, I point this out. I want to make mention of this because I think this is one of the central points that you, that we find these two views uh, most clearly. We, we most clearly see the, div, the the things that divide these two views when we start considering the problem of evil itself and how these views attempt to try to uh, to, to to give good answers to these. Uh, again, what I want to highlight is that there are throughout church history um, like great thinkers. Um, Blood-bought believers on both sides of this, um, and when, whenever that's the case, one of the things that we need to do is that we need to be uh, humble in our approach to 
to dealing with these things and, and not not be um, judgmental when we see others on one side of this or the other um, and, and, and in some way like question their salvation. I think we find ourselves in a time now where it's very easy for us to do that. Like we like to build teams and when the teams get separated, it's us versus you. Um, and this is an in-house debate, right? Like this is a debate that happens amongst Believers. So because of that, this is something between brothers and sisters in Christ. I think we need to be very careful about the way that we, that we approach that. So Augustine um, argued that evil is not something that exists. Rather, uh, evil is nothing but a privation or negation um, the, of the absence of good. Uh, he worked from the notion that God, who is the supreme good and source of good, created everything good in its original state, but creatures can fall away from their original goodness, and it is in this loss of goodness that evil consists. Here we see the proper use of the word evil, for it is correctly applied not to uh, essence, but to negation or loss. So this is someone in the in the in the early church who said this, and and I think. Like today, like we see the same type of thoughts get played out, and we discussed this last week. Like what we'll see is like analogies that are given, like when they talk about evil, like they'll say, well, evil is not a thing, but it's a lack of a thing. And then they'll say something to the effect of just like darkness is not a thing, but it's an absence of a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. So these ideas that we use today, right, like a lot of times we'll think that these are new things that that we invented, but these ideas we can push back all the way to believers um, in the early in the early days of the church right so um, so I want us to like uh, as we do this to kind of find some roots in in whatever side we hold to um, in in uh, in the church and, and in uh, what what other believers have have also have also kind of held to along the way. So as we press into kind of the Middle Ages, into the uh, into the what I would call like the the where the church becomes established. Um, uh, this is where we see the Catholic Church kind of rising, rising out of out of this this age. The the the, the Catholic the Church goes from being um, a thing that is uh, persecuted on every side to essentially becoming like like a, a world power in a sense. Um, during this time, there there were again many great uh, many great thinkers who had many great um, thoughts to put towards this idea of God's providence. Anselm was one of those. <clears throat> And this is something that he had, this, this is kind of an addition that he had towards this. So he says that everything that, um, everything that has existence owes its being at all to God, who is the source of all uprightness, but not of unrighteousness, right? So he's kind of, he's kind of building off this idea that we, that we just spoke about with Augustine, this idea. So everything that has existence owes its being at all to God, right? So God is the creator of all, who is the source of all uprightness, right? So God is the source of all good, all righteousness, but not of unrighteousness. Therefore, although God is a factor in all that is done by righteous or unrighteous will in its good and evil acts, nonetheless, 
in the case of its good acts, he affects both their existence and their goodness, whereas in the case of its, of its evil acts, he causes them to be, but not to be evil. So I want us to, I want us to consider what he's, what he's saying here. And this is kind of the, the general idea, is that whether you're good or evil, you find your existence sustained by who? By God Himself. So if God willed you not to be, you would not be. Right? So this again is in this wrestling with this idea of why evil. Right? So one, one way that one might answer that is, is why evil is because God chooses in that moment to sustain their existence. Knowing that they will commit evil, He continues to sustain their existence. He could remove His breath from them and they would fall lifeless to the ground, right? Yet in that moment, He upholds their existence. So in that evil, God, God's not absent, right? And this is like as we're wrestling with this. One of the things that I want us to get is even in the midst of evil, it's not pointless, Right? We can't believe, if we know and trust in the character of God, we cannot believe that any event is pointless. Because if, if it had no point, God who set this thing in motion is either out of control of it, right? Like, that's one option. He's lost control, right? And, 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 and he's trying to get it back on the rails or, or something. Like, there, you could potentially hold to that. Maybe, Maybe God kicked it off and he didn't realize or, or something. And like there, there are people that, as we get kind of into the, the modern era, that we're going to find that hold to a view that's very similar to that. So um, that's, not, that's not one of those views that's, that's existed from, from, the, from the early days of the church. Um, no matter which side you were on in the early days, like people, people were trying to wrestle with how can, how can God both be in control and not the author of evil, right? Like that's the wrestle from both sides from the beginning. And what he's what Anselm's kind of putting forward here is that when you exist and you do good, both come from God. Right? When you exist, God holds you in existence. When you do good, it's because of God's grace in you. Right? So so both good and your existence are attributed to God while he separates, he distances your unrighteousness from God. Where he'll say that that comes from you. Um, he causes you to be, right? But not to be evil, right? So this is kind of his, his working out. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things, and I mentioned this last week, I want to mention it again this week. Just because we're quoting people this morning, and just because we're trying to dig into their ideas, their ideas are not Scripture. We do not equate them with Scripture so we're just working through their thoughts. As, as the, in the, I think it helps us as we work through our own, right? Like to see how other people think helps us to work through issues because we may think, I'm, I, that, I've thought about that before. Like I've considered that before. I'm, I'm not crazy after all. <laughs> so, right, so by considering what other people think, it helps, to, it helps us to kind of prune and refine and think, especially if we see someone that thinks a certain way and then someone else comes along who disagrees and provides a better argument, right? Because if we held to that view, to that view, <clears throat> excuse me, and then someone else puts forward a 
puts forward a, a, a better argument for a different view, and we held to that, and that other argument convinces us, then that argument helps push forward our own belief, right? It helps steer and refine that. So I think that's important for us, that's important for us to do. So again, in, in this, in this, uh, in, in kind of the, the established church, the, the medieval era, uh, we find another, another great thinker, Thomas Aquinas. <clears throat> so he kind of is, is contributing to this discussion as well. And he would say, the existence of every creature depends on God, so that not for a moment could it exist, but would fall into nothingness were it not kept in existence by the operation of a divine power. Right? Like that's that's a better way of saying what I just said a second ago. Right? Like that's what he's that's what he's he, he essentially. So again, like this is I think this is good um, for us to consider that we should not. This far into church history, we should not be finding ourselves inventing new ways of thinking about these things. Right? Like, if you find me with a novel idea about Scripture, question it. Right? You should question it. Do you all understand that? That if I invent some new way of thinking about a passage of text, that, that there's danger in that? Because what I would be saying is that for a couple thousand years, the church has missed it completely. Right? This is why we're doing the church history thing. It's so that as we, as you hear me putting forward ideas in the systematic theology portion of this text, you should hear those same ideas existing throughout some significant portion of church history. Or we should be raising our hands saying, why didn't they believe that? Why were they reading this text and not coming to the same conclusions that you were coming to? Why are they now finding novel things in Scripture? No preacher this far from the cross should be preaching a sermon for the first time on a text, right? So when was Augustine? Um, so Augustine was early, like he's early church history. Yes, um, yeah. So yeah. So in in the in the first centuries post church yeah um and and now these guys exist farther farther into that established but they're still kind of probably in the in the in the earlier ages of the of the middle ages here so uh so that was thomas aquinas that we just looked at um give me one second to get a so i'm going to read a considerable section of text that makes use of some of thomas aquinas's thoughts he's probably one of the uh one of the most um prolific for this time period. Uh, I think he's a very good thinker, uh, but a lot of what he says, like I need you to pay close attention um, because he, he doesn't use, um, like he, he uses very ref- refined words. Um, he, 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 he's done a good job of thinking about what he's going to say. Um, so as we start reading him, get that again. This is one of those guys that's that that he 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 pulls us up as we listen to his words. If that makes sense, right? Like 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 it, most of the time when I'm talking to you, I'm not pulling you up in your thinking. Like we're thinking all at the same level. Aquinas was one of those guys that when we listen to his words, his words has the effect of pulling up, pu- causing our minds to need to work a little bit to consider what he's saying. So just. 
be aware that that's that that's what you're in for when we start kind of discussing some of the things that Aquinas put forward here. So for Aquinas, God is the first or causal agent who directs all things to accomplish his pur- his purpose. He he says we must say that all things are subject to divine providence, not only in general but also in their individual selves. So this is this is this is kind of. Not only is God in control of everything, but He's in control of you. That's kind of the, the point that you could that you could get from what He's saying here. For since every agent acts for an end, what does that what does He mean when He say when He says that? When you do something, you do something for the end result of that thing, right? Like we're all acting for an end, and God is. God is the same way, and He's also the first actor, right? So, for since every act, for since every agent acts for an end, the ordering of effects towards that end extends as far as the causality of the first agent extends. God being the first agent there, but but the causality of God, who is the first agent, extends to all being. That's everything that exists. Hence. All things that exist in whatever manner are necessarily directed by God towards some end. And y'all see what I mean now, right? When I say that He, yes. Yeah, so the so the bullet the bullet down. <laughs> thank you, right? So the bullet down point is that divine providence directs everything to accomplish God's design, right? So God's the first one to move. And when we move, if we all agree that we move towards some end, then God's first move was a move towards that end. Right? God's first move was what? In the beginning. So when God created, God created for what? The end. From the beginning, He's creating with the end in mind. He moves with His purposes in mind. Why should this comfort us to know? Because He's good. Because we've explored previously His character, right? Like we know the character of God and we know that He's wise. We know that He's good. We know that He's kind, patient. Like We know these things about Him. We've already in this class explored God's character. So we trust Him in what He does. It brings purpose to not only broader events throughout world history, but the events of our lives. Like it works. Like yes. all, of, all of these things, big and small, are working together towards this end. And we know that because he is omniscient, that he can he knows the best way to get to his end and the best way for us to get to his yes. end. Yes. And he's working all of those things together to get us there. And his end is good. Yes. And he's powerful enough to accomplish the thing that he set forward to do, well, right? The text you used. When you intro the subject was, or one of, you know, Isaiah forty six ten, where it says, "I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come." I say, "My purpose will stand." Might not it doesn't say "my will." My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. That should be the most comforting verse in scripture, in a sense that because we know He's good, He's righteous, He's holy. He's perfect in every way, shape, and form. That he's going to reach that end. Oh. And this is where it takes for us. Like we have to have an a, a, an amount of 
faith in who He is, because we, like, He, when He moved in the beginning, He moved towards an end that we find ourselves somewhere in the midst of not being able to see that end. Right? Like, I don't, I can't tell you what tomorrow holds. Right? I cannot. I can tell you what my, here's the thing, right? We all move towards an end, right? Agreed? Like, I'm moving towards an end for tomorrow, right? After church today, I'll be heading over to Atlanta for tomorrow. That, that day may never come. Do you know why? Because I don't have the, the complete power to make it happen. He does, right? So when I move towards an end, I find myself limited by what I'm given in that moment. He's unlimited in His abilities. He's unlimited in His wisdom and His knowledge, right? So when He moves, not only can He move, but He's powerful enough that if He says He's going, He's going, right? If I say I'm going, I say by the Lord's will, right? If I'm going to go here or there or to or fro... By God's will, I will do that. But when He go go for it. And this is that he is his wisdom is you know it's unsearchable. Yeah. We can't figure it out. And we and we trust in him. Like we we can trust in him because we know him, right? Like we can it's this is this is not a God who has made himself hidden from us. It is a God who's made himself known to us, right? So we can know him and we can trust in his plan. In spite of this moment, whatever this moment might bring, be it good or evil for us, that he, that, that this is not purposeless, right? I think the fear of our heart in the moment of evil, when it comes upon us, whether it's natural or whether it's from some other being that's been evil to us, is in that moment we fear that that is purposeless. Right, But to know that God could at any moment do whatever He pleases and yet, and yet it pleased Him to sustain that individual or that event. I know He's not moving haphazardly. Right? So when I'm in that moment, I can trust, Lord, I don't see and I might die from this thing. Yet, I trust that you are working this for a good, not only for me as, as the one who trusts in you, but for all others who trust in you, right? Like that we trust in that kind of, that kind of God, a God that moves in that way, that this moment that we may go through, this moment of suffering, this, this trial that we may be struggling with, is not purposeless. It is not. There is not one evil that is purposeless, right? Not, not with the God who is in control of all things. It couldn't be. We could not say that. We would need to reject that He's in control and say that it's out of control. 
That's the only way that we could come to that. Right? Yes. Yeah. So, so he continues in this because as we press in, and this is the thing, like as we press into these kind of ideas, just like as they were pressing into these things, uh, there's there's certain things that bubble up, specifically around like how we wrestle with evil and how we wrestle with God's like like if what you're saying there, Thomas Aquinas, like if what you're saying there is true, then what about this? What about this? What about this? So he he kind of he he works these things out <clears throat> as well. So instead of going into all the quotations, um, I, the the author of this historical theology book has done a good job of kind of summarizing and and then dropping in quotes as it makes sense. So I'm going to read uh, I'm going to read this, and this is follow this is like the quote that we just read from Thomas Aquinas. This is the follow up to it, right? So so he he he, he kind of starts it off by saying that divine providence directs everything to accomplish God's design. He then says, This contention does not mean that God only exercises immediate control over everything. Rather, He also employs secondary means or intermediate intermediaries to accomplish His government of the universe. And then as an example, the author here writes, Think of laws of physics, of gravity, entropy, for example, as a means that God uses to control the universe. So the idea that Thomas Aquinas kind of works out here is this idea of second of of primary and secondary means, right? So this is this is what the author's describing here. For Aquinas, this meant that divine providence does not make everything that takes place happen by necessity. Right. That's and and when we use that, we're using it in the in the logical sense. There, rather, foreknowledge has prepared for some things necessary causes so that they happen of necessity. For others, contingent causes that they may happen by contingency. Right. That necessity and contingency are two kind of the two ways of describing the way that events happen. They can happen out of pure necessity or they can happen because they were contingent on other events happening. So what he's saying here is that is that God has so ordered the world that some things happen by pure necessity while other things happen because of chains of events that are contingent on, on, on other events. So in this way the dignity of causality is imparted even to creatures. That is God has included human beings uh, their choices and actions in his providential plan. He accomplishes this plan through the intermediary decisions and works both good and evil of responsible human beings. So if you were here and you were hold to a, an Arminian view, whenever I was talking about Thomas Aquinas, you would probably have been associating him with that view. That's not that's that's not where he would have where we would if like and we're pushing back terms to push it back to Thomas Aquinas, but he would not have fell into that particular view, right? You heard it, right? You heard it, but that's not what he would have. That's not what he. That's not the way that he would have classified himself. So I, that's why I want to I want us to be careful because a lot of times when we hear things. That are that where where God's providence and control is elevated super highly, we start associating that directly with the Calvinist view of the world. And the thing that I want to point out is, n- no, that's not been the case, right? Like 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 Thomas Aquinas was was very strong on um, human freedom, human responsibility. <clears throat> Thomas Aquinas, if you said you think God's a puppet, he would he would go to great lengths to show you why you were why you were wrong, and he would probably use words that we would all str- struggle to deal with because uh, because. 
that tends to be the way that he would roll, right? Uh, so now we're kind of pressing in, uh, and we've got about 15 minutes left. The bell will probably ring way before that, though. Uh, we're pressing into the, the Reformation age. Um, Martin Luther, kind of the father of the Reformation, um, he, had, he had this to say um, concerning God's providence. So he said, God the Father initiated and executed the creation of all things through the Word, and now He continues to preserve His creation through the Word, and that forever and ever... He remains with His handiwork until He sees fit to terminate it. Hence, as heaven, earth, sun, moon, stars, man, and all living things were created in the beginning through the Word, so they are wonderfully governed and preserved through the Word. I think He does a really good job of, of kind of intermingling like, like the words of Scripture with, with His own thoughts there. Um, so so he's, he's kind of speaking to God's providence. God not only created, He did not create and step away, but He created and continues through the Word. And who do you think He means when He says the Word? Like he's speaking of Jesus here, right? Um, so continuing on in the, in, the, in the age of the Reformation, um, I'm going to read another huge section here. Um, I want you to pay close attention um, to the words here, and I want to I want to kind of at the end of this get a raising of hands of whether or not. Now there are going to be some things here again um, that I'm going to read, and and immediately my brain says, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? But on the whole, um, I find myself agreeing very much with um, with this particular. Uh, this particular line of thought. So I want us to see, like, like you know, like you could do like a 50% hand raised, or you could do a 100% hand raised. Just think about it and consider it as we're reading it. Um, how much we align ourselves, or how much we might want to align ourselves with the way of thinking that this particular individual had. Um, so he, he says, when the light of divine providence has once shone upon a godly man, he is then relieved and set free, not only from ex- extreme anxiety and fear that were pressing him before, but from every care. For he rightly dreads fortune. We know fortune to be chance. Like we, we That's one of the fears that we have, is that the things that happen are by chance. So he says... For he rightly dreads fortune, so he fearlessly dares to commit himself to God. His comfort, I say, is to know that his heavenly Father so holds all things by his power, so rules by his authority and will, so governs by his wisdom, that nothing can happen except he determine it. Moreover, it it comforts him to know that he has been received into God's safekeeping and entrusted to the care of his angels, that neither water nor fire nor iron can harm him, except insofar as it pleases God as governor to give them occasion. Whence do they have this never-failing assurance? But from knowing that, when the world appears to be aimlessly tumbled about, the Lord is everywhere at work. And from trusting that His work will be for their welfare, 
Now, if their welfare is attacked by the devil or by wicked men, then indeed, unless strengthened through remembering and meditating upon providence, they will certainly and quickly despair. But let them recall that the devil and the whole court of the wicked are completely restrained by God's hand as by a bridle, so that they are unable to hatch any plot against us or having hatched it to make preparations or if they have fully planned it to lift a finger to carry it out except so far as God has permitted. Indeed, he says, commanded. Let them also recall that the devil and his crew are not only chained, but also curbed and compelled to do service. Such thoughts will provide them great comfort. So as you consider that, as you think about that, like how like where are we at? Where are we at in our group? Now I'm not a hundred I'm not a hundred percent because there's some things that he says there there's some things that he says there at the end that I'm like there's I wrestle a little bit. Like I'm gonna show you the points that I wrestle with a little bit. Like I wrestle like when he when when he says uh, to lift any finger to carry it out except so far as God has permitted, I'm thumbs up, double thumbs up right there. And then he goes on to say, Indeed commanded that's where my brain says that's where my struggle continues. Like, like, I'll, I'll let's get a raising of hands because okay. we're yeah. So like, we we at five percent. This is five. Like, is it five percent? Fifty percent? Like, where are we at? Where are we at with this? Like, with the with the general with the general thoughts. I'm at about a ninety-eight. Ninety-eight. So I'm probably I'm probably ninety-five. Ninety-five. There's a couple of things through there that I'm like, eh, but I'm probably about a ninety-five. Like are we are we any is anyone at a negative five? Is anyone at like everything that this guy said is foolish? Well, I'm saying it because this was this was this was John Calvin who said this, right? Yeah. 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 So, like, I wouldn't be able to give a full answer. But I'll think about um, when you were reading the very beginning about, I thought about the first time I ever really, ever entertained that thought was uh, Blake was a senior or a junior at University of Mobile. He was going on his first mission trip across the globe yeah. to Tasmania. Uh, and it was back before cell phones could have international plans and all that. <laughs> not here from him for weeks. And so uh, I had flown a whole lot, and, and he was going to be flying across continents and oceans. And Anyway, I said, Son, we are going to be praying that God, you know, just takes care of you and keeps you safe. And he stopped me. And he said, Mom, I really, I know that that God hears that prayer and He listens to prayer from that. But He said, I would rather you pray that God be glorified in my life or my death. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, I wasn't ready for that. I still have two teenagers at home. And, I mean, I wasn't ready yeah. for that. But it shook my world to realize, you know, I'm like, well, that makes sense because the apostles. Live to die. Yeah. And 
all my life, I had kind of had a comfort gospel. Like, we need to be praying for these missionaries' safety. Yeah, we do pray for them to be safe, but for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, yeah. To promote the gospel. So we know that God answers prayer. So there was my struggle was with, well, how do I pray if God is sovereign and He's already, you know, decided all these things? So those were things that... And 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 Thomas Aquinas would answer that, and he would say that God God is so wise in His working that He that your prayer was one of those secondary means by which right because prayers are not ineffective right like prayers like God commands us to pray so like our prayers are effective. And, and Aquinas would, would say that that was one of those secondary means, right? Like, yes, all along it was God's plan for that to happen, but God would so shape you as to pray, and, you, and, and, and He is so wise in His workings, he would say, that your prayers play that part, right? Like, that's that intermediary working is how Thomas Aquinas would, would kind of approach something like that. So it's... Yes. God is, as I pray, God is working in me mm-hmm. a new thing. Like, somebody yeah. suffering, I'm seeing how to suffer and bring God glory. Yeah. Whatever it is He's teaching me, it's all connected. Yeah. So that's where prayer, I think, that, that's kind of yeah. happened. But too. Uh, I'm like, yes, I just struggle slightly with the word command. Because I don't like it's struck, it's hard for me to think he commands yeah. their evil thoughts, but we read where he hardens heart. We do. Yeah. And then we read like where what was he doing when he was when when Satan comes before him and he's he's pointing Job out like like to what degree was that was that a com- what was that a command right like have you considered my servant job like when he said that was that not the initiating of the events that caused the catastrophe that came to job because god could just have kept his kept his walls of protection around job he could have but what god said was like before satan could ever move god needed to move right like in that in that event before Satan could act, God needed to remove his protection. So when God says, consider, is he not doing that? Have you not considered my servant Job? Could, could Satan have said, yeah, but I don't like him? Yeah. Not the right one. Yeah. Because God knew what Satan had in mind. It's not like Satan's thoughts are far from God. Yes. And right. So like, but wait, here's the thing. We think that though, right? Like we think that God doesn't play him. Right? right? Like Satan, knowing the cross, right. Satan is an active participant in bringing about those events. Right. That would be the only way that anyone could ever be saved. Right. Do we get this? Yeah. Do we get that, that he was an active participant in this event? If Satan were the one in control, could he not have been like, I'm going to run it all off the rails because Jesus, you ain't dying today. Right? right? He's like, Judas, we're going to catch out. Right? Like, <laughs> we're, going to catch, we're not going to go do all that. We're going to catch out. We're just going to go get on the Sea of Galilee or something. Hey, right? Judas, check out 
Yeah, yeah. Let's just divert Judas for a second, right? Like, do we do we get that? That he participated actively in those events. He could have, or could he have acted differently? If he were on the same level as God, he would have that knowledge. He would. He would. He wouldn't have got played like he got played. Right. He does. We live in a we live in a in a culture that wants to elevate a created fallen being to the level of the uncreated creator. Right? Like we want to say that Satan's he's not on his level. If we're looking on a spectrum, Satan's closer to us than he is to God. On his capabilities and abilities, right? Like he's not close to God. Right? He's not. He's not close. When God calls him, when God calls the angels to gather in Job, Satan doesn't say, I'm gonna I'm gonna be absent today. Right? So like and these are th- these are but this doesn't alleviate none of this alleviates us from the struggle. This is why there hasn't been one concise answer that's lined up. Because no matter what we say, we're going to find ourselves with the place where we're like, I want to raise my hand and ask a question on that. What about this, right? But if we could know everything and come to a concise thing, then God wouldn't be. It would be, especially with this, right? Especially with these ideas. Um, And I think with the Calvin quote, um, you know, there's such a stigma around Calvinism, Calvin, like all, all of that kind of thinking, but whenever you present the ideas apart from the name, it helps us understand that we we don't have to buy into that stigma and we can consider those ideas apart from the person because it, they weren't novel to him. They weren't novel to him, no. And, 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 like he's and, the last one to have said it and it stuck with his name. Right. 2,000 years from now, it will be called something other. <laughs> right, right. So like yeah. considering ideas apart from the person that they're attributed to is important because yeah. you may miss out on um, important information and that's just in any area if you, you know, don't entertain them because of stigma or ideas. Yeah. So we're going to start back with this next week. We didn't wrap up this week. We will we're we're on the home stretch though. So we'll finish up next